Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. How can we use digital ministry to reach people and make disciples, to make people followers of Christ, essentially? My guest today is Dave Adamson, or better known as Aussie Dave. And this conversation took place last year once again, and it was one of those conversations that we we spoke about a lot of the issues that are facing Christians today, the church, you name it. And it was a quite a wide-ranging conversation that I really, really enjoyed. And I think that you guys will actually enjoy it as well. But Dave has written a brilliant new book called Meta Church, which basically talks about uh, being in this online world. How can we use the digital platform that we have to reach more and more people and make disciples? So in Meta Church, you will learn to see how your first century mission can look with a 21st century model, examine ways online church can be a viable evangelistic and discipleship tool, learn how a digital ministry can complement physical ministries to help them grow, and so much more. I'll make sure the link for that will be in the show notes below. It actually came out in May 16th of this year, um, so not too long ago. I hope that you guys, if you are interested, you do get a copy. But like I said before, this is a very wide-ranging conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think that you guys are going to get so much from it. But for those of you that don't know who Aussie Dave is, he used to be a TV reporter in Australia, then became the social media and online pastor at North Point Ministries in Atlanta for guess who? Andy Stanley. Many of you may know who he is. Uh, He's also a photographer, musician, author, and the Orange Director for Australia and New Zealand. Uh, When he's not doing all this, he's probably researching the first century cultural context of Jesus and Hebrew words for his daily Instagram devotional and YouTube channel, which we also touch on during this conversation as well. And his new book, like I said, Meta Church, is available now for each and every one of you to go and get a copy if you want to. 
So if you do get something from this, please share it around to all your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. I hope that you guys enjoy it. Uh, all right, my friends, don't forget that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, is now available for pre-order. Links for that, once again, will be in the show notes below too. I hope that you guys get a copy and that you enjoy reading it because I enjoyed writing it to a certain extent. Um yeah, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Aussie Dave Adamson. Dude, that's so good, man. I, I what I love about that is you're not intentionally reaching for your intent. Sorry, you're intentionally reaching a broad audience rather than niching it down. But I would imagine. And I would imagine your your faith comes out in conversations, though, because how can it not leak out a little bit? And in that way, man, I think you probably have a bigger impact on unchurched people than you might even realize. That's what I hope and pray each and every time I do an interview with someone. Because sometimes I don't no. even know that they are Christian or I don't want to make the assumption that they are and then say it. And then they say, like, I'm not, I'm not a Christian. Like, what are you talking about? I'm a person of faith, but I'm not yeah. a Christian. And it's yeah. like, okay, let's let's <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> yeah, that's good, dude. I love it. So, but yeah, I 100 percent my faith in God does come out in conversations all the time. And yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun. I really, really love it. I feel like that's more who I am. But then yeah. the curious side of me comes out when people say, I'm a person of faith but not in God. And I'm like, yeah, right. Let's, let's unpack that. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that happens more and more often in an Australian post-Christian society, right? Oh, all the time, man. I feel yeah. like Australia, especially there's many people out there that reject God. They reject his yeah. teachings. There's this whole notion of now being woke. And I'm like, yeah, come on, man. Like <laughs> this, it's a yeah. um, it's a, a lost society that needs yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And you don't go about it, I've realized in especially for Australians, you don't preach at them. You preach indirectly no. to them. Yeah. By your actions, by the things that you do rather than the things that you know. Um, literally posted about this just the other day on my Instagram about the the biblical the Hebrew biblical definition of faith is is more about action. It's a like it's the word is literally a verb, mm -hmm. yet we've turned it into this intellectual thing, right? And, and when you start to talk about it like that, people think, oh, you're a progressive Christian, which for Christians is a really like it's almost an insult that you're a progressive Christian. Um, and, and I saw somebody post just. Uh, today on social media, uh, progressive Christianity leads to uh, post uh, leads people towards is a pit stop on the way to post Christian. And I responded and said, no, progressive Christianity is a pit stop on the way to post religion. I the most the people who I know who I would label as progressive Christians are actually people who are not losing their faith. They're actually deepening their faith by going back to the first century roots of their faith, right? Rather than anything else. It's, it's, I think it's hilarious. Why do you think so many people like nowadays have gone into sort of like this progressive mindset? Like oh, I'm a progressive Christian as opposed to, you know, being overly conservative back in the day, like they've, they've changed so quickly. Yeah. 
Yeah, great question. You know, obviously, you know, having spent 13 years in the States, it seems like everybody there who's a Christian is a conservative, right? But when I get back here to Australia and see that, you know, research shows that only 8% of Australians go to church on a regular basis, and that regular basis is defined as once every four to six weeks, which proves that even people who attend church are not attending church in Australia. Um, so you've got 92% of the population who are essentially unchurched. They might say they're people of faith, but they're essentially unchurched. So I think this idea of progressive Christians or like people who are thinking a little bit out of the box, I think it's in direct, um, I, I think it's in direct response to uh, religion, the system that we've built around the teachings of Jesus and people not liking that that system has taken prevalence in a lot of societies, including Australia, taking prevalence over the teachings of Jesus. So people are more interested in the church rather than the person whose church it is. You know what I mean? That's where we get into that idea of, well, my church, my church, this, and my church, that, and, and, uh, but it, I, I think it's, I think it's people just becoming disenfranchised with what is happening in the space of quote unquote religion, organized religion, the systems that we've got set in place. And they want to just get back. And I know this is my journey as well. Mm. Just want to get back to, well, what did, t what did Jesus actually do? Like, what did he say? What did he do? And, and how, how can I, do that and when you look at it from that point of view and you take away you remove the system you remove the liturgies you remove all of those traditions right that have creeped into our faith and you just look at the things that jesus said and did i don't know anybody who wouldn't want that you know you look at you when you read the gospels what you find is that people who were nothing like jesus liked jesus yeah and i think that that's the case right now like it, it, like if people actually just understood the teachings of Jesus minus the systems and the liturgies and the tradition, then they would actually like Jesus. And what they find is Jesus liked them back, right? Mm -hmm. The people who in the first century, people who followed Jesus around, they were nothing like him, but he liked them and they liked him. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what, I, that's what it is for me anyway. Would I call myself a progressive Christian? No, probably not. Would I call myself a deconstructed Christian? Probably, you know, a little while ago, I would have said that now. No, I just think I'm trying to I, my faith in God is 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 stronger than ever. my faith in Jesus is stronger than ever, you know, and, and that's and, but I also have more questions than ever. And <laughs> that's the beauty of it. Right. That's okay. that's where it's supposed to be. You know, there's this famous, um, famous Jewish rabbi who marched with Martin Luther King in the 60s. Right. His name is Abraham Joshua Heschel. He once said we are closer to God when we have questions than when we think we have all the answers. Is that not freaking brilliant? But but in church, in the system, we don't get taught to question. We don't, we're like, you know, it's that, uh, I remember a bumper sticker when I was in my twenties that said, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. And I thought that that's how it had to be. But now I realize, no, I've got questions and, and God's okay with my questions because I, I look at the story of Abraham, right? God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if Abraham lived up to that, God said it, I believe it, that settles it mantra. He would have said, okay, God, cool. But he didn't. He said, well, God, what if I can find 50 good people in that town? And God says, well, okay, I won't destroy it then. Well, what if I can only find 45? Well, okay, I won't destroy it. 
well, what if I only find 40? And, and he, he questions God, right? And he ultimately changes God's mind. He gets it down to 10 people and God says, okay, go and find 10 people and I'll hold off destroying the city until that moment, right? But it's because he questioned. And that for me always reminds me of my daughters. You know, when my daughters were a little bit younger, you know, they'd be watching TV and I would say, hey, come on girls, it's time for bed. Oh, dad, can we just have five more minutes? Yeah. Okay. Well, five more minutes go past. Come on girls bedtime. Well, can we just wait till the the next ad? Yeah. Okay. Well, what about if we wait till the end of the year? They were doing the same thing as Abraham, right? They were negotiating with me. Why? Because they're guaranteed that I'm not going to think less of them for having questions and for them pushing back and negotiating with me because they, my love for them is, is unconditional and they're aware of it. But I, and I think it was the same for Abraham, but I think what church and religion has taught us is no, God doesn't like questions. But I think when we do that, we stop wrestling with God. We stop, you know, getting close enough to, to, and having, having trust in his feelings towards us, like for want of a better term, that it's okay for us to have those questions and God's big enough to deal with those questions. So I like getting back to those questions. That's why that, uh, that rabbinic saying has so much impact on me. I like people who have questions. I want to question everything. And if that means I don't fit in somewhere, well, that's okay. I'm going to keep having questions. What's the number one question that you have currently forgot that you're still trying to gosh, dude, such a good question. And, (laughs) and, it changes. It probably changes for me every day. So Thanks. as of right now, my, my biggest question is, uh, it has to do with faith, but it has to do with current events, right? Because as we're talking, the Palestinian Israeli conflict is happening. And, um, you know, most evangelicals are at that point of, of saying, well, this is a good thing. Cause it means Jesus is coming back because for, that's their interpretation of revelation. Mm. But I always look at the point of view of, I don't think as, as Christians, we should be so eager to step over the gospels to get to the book of revelation. Uh, Now, what I mean by that is you look at the gospels, which is the false stories told about Jesus's life. And Jesus was always love your neighbor. That is like the prevalent thing. Everything on scripture hangs on this, love God and love your neighbor. Yet we're so eager that come on, Jesus, come back and save me, right? That we step over the people who are hurt in the, who are getting hurt in the process of doing that. So my question for God around that is, God, why, why are Christians like this? Why are we known for what we are against instead of being known for what we are for? And what I'm for is I, my, I, you know, I've got friends who are Palestinians living in the West Bank and my heart breaks for what they're going through and I want to help them. But I've also got friends who are Jewish who live in Jerusalem and my heart breaks for what's happening to them as well. You know what I mean? So it's not as black and white as we think it is. And, and, and it's just come boils down to let's not be so eager to get to revelations that we step all over the gospels and what Jesus actually taught us to do, which is to love the people who are around us and care for them in best way that we possibly can. And we still have an entire world really to reach for Christ before he even returns. So there's, there's also that. And I don't think we should necessarily try and, and create a sense of fear and urgency about everything that's going on. Sure. He's coming back. I'm excited that he's coming back. But it's yeah. in his time, not my time. 
And yeah. he said that events are going to transpire. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be uh, false doctrines. There's going to be false yeah. prophets. There's going to be all kinds of things that are going to pop up. And sure, we're seeing it. But yeah. my question to God is, like, to what extent does it have to be before we before we get, like, that close to hearing the trumpet? Yeah. Like, that's my like, – it's pretty bad, but my my thought process around it is – how bad is bad that <laughs> it's it's yeah. enough that is like okay now's the time yeah right because you know that that during world war one people were thinking the same thing you know that during world war two they were thinking the same thing so it's not like this is the first time in history that anybody's ever thought that this might be coming might be happening soon and so this is where uh honestly jay my focus always goes back to um you know i don't think we should be so concerned about getting people to heaven as much as we should be concerned about getting heaven to people. <laughs> that's what I think Jesus talked about. And that's what I try to do. Like, do I want my unchurched friends and neighbors to, to know who Jesus is? Yeah. hundred percent. How do they do that? They do that by me bringing that to them. And that happens in the way that I talk, the way that I post to social media, the way that I care, the way that I welcome people, the way that I love my neighbors. You know, there's this, uh, <clears throat> there's this idea in rabbinic Judaism that every alt, every table is an altar, like an altar, A-L-T-A-R, right? You know, which for, for, for Christians, an altar is the place where the, the priest or the pastor preaches from on Sundays, or it's the place that holds the Bible in the church, right? That's the altar. It's this godly place. But in rabbinic Judaism, every table is an altar. Mm. And the indication of like a dinner table is an altar. Uh, a, a, a coffee table in a cafe is an altar where you can experience and worship God while sitting across from somebody else, having a conversation, having a meal. Um, and you think about it from the point of view of Jesus, right? How many times when people said, hey, Jesus, what's heaven going to be like? And Jesus said, well, it's kind of like a man who had a banquet, right? He's talking about people gathered around a table sharing a meal. Like he literally backs up that idea. And it's not that it needs to be a table and it's not that it needs to be a meal. I would say this right now, Jay, is the potential to be an altar, a place where we can experience God, a place where we can worship God. This is where it happens. It doesn't have to happen in a building. If COVID taught us anything in the church world, it's that, you know, you don't have to be inside a church building to experience God. When you look at, again, just look at the Bible. You look at Abraham, he worshiped God. Well, Adam, go back even further, right? The, the, the story that opens up the whole Bible, Adam and Eve, Adam worshiped God in a garden. Moses worshiped God on a mountaintop. Jesus worshiped God in a desert. I don't need to be inside a building to worship God. I can worship God anywhere. And that typically happens when we're, when we have people sitting around a table and we're sharing life with them. So I, I think Christians Christians need to stop building walls and start building bigger tables mm. to welcome and invite people to come and sit around that table. People of all races, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, right? All lifestyles. Let's start having conversations with people around the table because the thing is everything changes when it's someone, you know, 
right? Mm. Christians always want to have a common enemy, whatever that common enemy might be at the particular time. But when you're sitting across the table from somebody who you've been told is unchurched, who's told is unchristian, who you've been told is a sinner, when you get to know them and hear their story, everything changes, you know? And so I think there's something, I, I think there's something about that does that make me progressive? Maybe it does. Maybe I am a progressive Christian. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm realizing right now talking to you, Jay, that I'm a progressive Christian, (laughs) but I I think it's actually, maybe it's a regressive Christian because I think I'm just getting back to the first century ideals around what, how, how Jesus can impact my life. You know, my old boss, uh, Andy Stanley used to say, um, following Jesus makes my life better and makes me better at life. And that was how he presented the gospel. That's how he preached to people, right? Uh, If he had to share his faith. And I I love that so much because I look at my own life, my own background, my own history, my own childhood, my chaotic childhood. And I look and I go, yeah, following Jesus, which I started doing when I was, you know, in year 12 in high school, that has made my life better and it's made me better at life. It's made me a better dad. It's made me a better husband. It's made me a better friend. I, I like to think it's made me a better man and a better human being. So, you know, I think it just boils. I like to boil it all down just to that, which for me is super simplistic, which ironically is what Jesus said, right? He said, Hey, my interpretation of the Bible is easy and it's light and you can handle it and you can do it and you can understand it more importantly. Well, how do we understand it? Well, love God, love people. That's faith. Mm. Gotcha. That's super easy to understand. He never had to use big words like premillennialism, post-millennialism, <laughs> you know, theo- like he didn't use big, he just said, love God, love people. Everything hangs on that. And I think if there are more Christians just simply doing that, maybe Australia wouldn't be as post-Christian as it is. We were originally Christian. We were founded on Christian principles, like if you look yep. at history, but we've fallen away from that. And there's been this, I guess, the Christians today, they're being branded as being wrong and yep. they've been asked all kinds of questions because there's a lot of hate. There's a lot of hate towards Christians and that's not what Jesus was like at all. He preached love thy enemy, love thy neighbor. And I'm always like, for me doing this, sure I speak to people, different faiths, different ideas, beliefs, but I don't try and convince someone why my way is better than their way. Like that's not my job. I, I don't force anyone to listen. I don't force anyone to believe anything. It's ultimately what I believe is what I talk about all the time. God created an amazing gift called a choice, free will, the ability to choose. But for most of the, and you you sort of see it in Australia and even over in America, you got a certain system of people that have this certain way of looking at the world, looking at Christianity as being such a, a cultist sort of movement that mm-hmm. they've branded them in such a way that they're all automatically uh, unaccepting. They, you know, it's just, mm. it's crazy. But for me, if I was to look at my life and all the things that I've gone through, without Jesus, well, without God in my life, I wouldn't be here. That's yeah. the honest truth. Yeah. Like, so... 
I don't know, man. Dude, I'm I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly the same. But it's so interesting, right? That I don't know if you knew this, but you know, we we in Australia we know that term Bible bashing. Don't Bible bash me. Did you know that that term was invented in Australia in the 1800s? No. Back then, we were known Christians were known to be people who Bible bashed others, right? And and that there's an aggression around that. There's a certain, you know, treating people as if they have to go your way, or you know, they're they're not in, or they're not, you know, we were making it exclusive back in the, you know, Christianity exclusive back in the 1800s when when Jesus was all about making it inclusive. Like he was like, hey, come, I'm gonna go. He sat with so often with people who the the religious leaders were against <laughs> the irony there right jesus the religious leaders were more more like jesus but they didn't like jesus yeah um and he, they didn't like him because he hung out with people who they said were unacceptable yeah. yet jesus went and spent time with them yet we flipped that on its head somewhere along the way um you know part of my story is even just having uh, you know i've got a lot of friends who are Jewish who are rabbis, messianic rabbis, orthodox rabbis. Uh, um, you know, I've got a bunch of friends in that that world. And I remember talking to an orthodox Jewish rabbi a few years ago, who's a really good friend of my rabbi Lubin in, in Madison, New Jersey. And he, um, you know, during the course of conversation, after many conversations with him, you know, he said to me one day, um, you know, we, the topic got around to, 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 to Jesus. And, and so I asked him the question that I think a lot of Christians have for, for rabbis specifically, because rabbis have memorized the first five books of the Bible. Like they've memorized them. The average Christian probably couldn't quote five verses. They've memorized five books. Like it's insane. But, but I, he's, you know, I was talking with him about Jesus and I said to him, Hey, how do you feel about Jesus? Like, why do you not think that Jesus is the Messiah. And over the course of the conversation, he said that he sees Jesus as being like this amazing, incredible, renowned Jewish rabbi, but he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Like he was a rabbi with authority, but he isn't the Messiah. And I said, well, why is that? Why do you think that? And he said, well, Jews judge a rabbi based on the actions of their followers. Man, and in saying that, I just remember being floored. Like, so you judge Jesus's authority based on my behavior or the behavior of Christians. And he went on to talk about how destructive and divisive Christians have been throughout all of human history, almost, right? Dating back to the Crusades, even, and the Spanish Inquisition. Like, we've been destructive and we've been just divisive. And that's why he doesn't think Jesus is the Messiah, because if he was, his followers would be a lot better. And that for me is just another one of those, oh my gosh, we've, we've gotten this so wrong. Um, you know, I've got a pastor friend named Jeff Henderson, who always says, for too long, the church has been known for what we are against. It's time we were known for what we were, we are for. And it's so true, right? It's so true. It's the true in America where I lived for 13 years, 100% true there. Christians are known for what they're against, right? And you could probably even, if we did a poll of your listeners, they would be able to list the things that American Christians are against. <laughs> but when I come back to Australia, it's the same thing. You know, that's what I'm experiencing here. Uh, that's what my unchurched family members, my unchurched friends are telling me it's like here as well. And I'm learning that it's all different things but it's also kind of the same things, but when known for what we're against, and I think it's time that that shifted and we started letting people know what we're for. And personally, as a Christian, 
I'm for my neighbors. I'm for people. I'm for Australians. Like, because Jesus has made my life better, I think he can make other people's life better as well. But I'm not going to force that on them in any way, shape or form. I'm just going to try and be an example of that, right? As a dad, one of the first things you learn is that your kids will follow your example more than they follow your opinion, right? And I think it's the same with faith. People will follow your example more than they follow your opinion and they're drawn to your example. I think you said it perfectly, man. Like <laughs> history will give us all the answers that we need to the present day questions. Might not exactly mm. give us the the answers to it's future good. questions, but always present day. And if you look at yeah. the the select few people Oh, sorry, we froze there for a second. What but happened? Internet. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> if you look at the, the select, select few, few people, the select few people throughout history that did everything for a cause in the name of Christ, do you really believe that Christ was in it in the first place, or was it just them saying that they were doing it for Christ as just mm. a way, like? You know, same with Muslims, same with Buddhists, same with all these uh, belief systems doing it for the sake of something, doing it for a so-called purpose or plan. And you look at where that took everybody to where it's taken us now, and then now we're in a hole because that's not what God stood for. And then now we're we're trying to undo what has been done for centuries. And it's It's like- it's really, really difficult for a person like me to be someone that claims the name of Christ and is not persecuted for it. I mean, God said that was going to happen anyway. He said, blessed be the persecuted for my name's yeah. sake. And I have no, nothing against that at all. And I, in fact, I welcome it. But having conversations with people, it, it's not as easy as you and I just conversing. It's so yeah. much, they're, they're vehemently opposed to you saying anything about Jesus. Oh, don't preach at me. Don't preach at me. Yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to share a story. Yeah. It's hopefully going to be helpful to you. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't it more, isn't it, you know, I think the part of the antidote to that, Jay, is is understanding that the word faith is a verb, right? It's based on the things that we do not on the things that we know. And, and so based on that, you know, I think we we all we all preach what we believe in or what we don't believe in without us even realizing it. It just comes out in what we're in, in the way that we conduct ourselves. You know, you talk you talk to an AFL supporter for any more than 10 minutes or like a really passionate AFL supporter for more than 10 minutes. And they're, they're going to talk about, or they're going to show you that they, what they're passionate about because they can't help it. I think it should be the same for people of faith, right? But it should come out not in just our words, but in our actions. People should see a sense of, of peace around Christians, not a sense of chaos. They should see a sense of servanthood, not a sense of uh, vying for influence. Um, they, they should see in people of faith, what they should see is people who are more concerned about what is right instead of who is right. Mm. But in our modern quote unquote woke society and our cancel culture society, right? Too often we're concerned about who is right over 
being concerned about what is right. And I, I think I think that's where we miss the boat a lot. You know, um, one of my one of my rabbi friends, a rabbi from Chicago, he once told me this great Jewish phrase. He said, uh, "Argue for the sake of heaven instead of arguing for the sake of power." Gosh, how often do we get that wrong? How often do we argue, especially on social media? Let's be super candid, especially on social media. We argue for the sake of power. Nobody has ever had their life changed by a single tweet or a response to a tweet, right? Yet we think it's our, I don't know, it's its our right or it's our um our job to to drag people through the mud on social media. Why do we do that? Like, isn't this supposed to be the place where we're being a reflection of what we believe in? You know, the only way that people are going to believe in the Jesus that, that we believe in is if we become everything that he says we're supposed to be. That means people who love their neighbor, people who are for the people around them, people who are out to do good in the world. Christians, you know, people in Australia, man, when they think of Christians, uh, my, here's my hope. My hope is that at some point, somebody in, in, you know, I'm on the Sunshine Coast, right? And I'm hoping that what will happen is people will say, hey, you know what? I don't know if I agree with everything that those Christians talk about. I don't know if I agree with that book they always go on about, but those Christians are the most compassionate, the most generous people in our entire community. Hey, you know what? I don't know if I agree with all the stuff they sing about constantly. It's the kind of weird, but man, they are the most trusting, the most integrity filled people in our whole town. I want people to get to the point where they say, I don't, I don't know if I agree with what they say about Jesus, but I want my son or my daughter to marry a Christian because I know they're marrying somebody who's upright, moral, has good values. I don't know if I agree with what they say about the Bible and the book of Revelation and Jesus coming back. I don't know if I agree with that, but I'm going to hire somebody who's a Christian because I know I'm going to get a hard worker. I know I'm going to get somebody who's trustworthy. That's what our reputation should be in Australia. Instead, it's not. It's about the things that we're against and it's about us being argumentative and us being against people. Like, when did that happen? You know, you know what I think that we should be doing, and I've always said this actually, if you want to change a generation, you teach the kids. Yeah. So I agree. But how do we teach the kids? Well, because the kids aren't coming to churches. We know that, right? So that's we've got to go out to them. So what is the modern marketplace? The modern marketplace is YouTube. How are we leveraging YouTube, for example? Yeah, exactly. It's it's your phone. And, and did you know 37% of all mobile internet traffic on your cell phone is people watching YouTube? That's 37% of all internet traffic is people watching YouTube. Where are the churches who are out on YouTube? You know, YouTube is the place where people go to find answers for everything from fixing their car to fixing their marriage. So what, where are the people of faith? Where are the churches on YouTube? And what are they putting out there to reach that next generation, to reach those kids? That's where we have to change up what we're doing and provide content that's just helpful for life, mm. not just, you know, rants and raves about who's in and who's out and, and, and that make us even further inclusive and keep the rest of Australian society at arm's length. You know what I mean? I know what you mean uh, perfectly. Like I've found it difficult to put out Christian content on YouTube because it will either get censored, like it will be kind of cancelled i won't say fully cancelled but it'll just be yeah. it won't be it won't hit the algorithm as much so yeah 
but there's ways around that, dude. There's so many different ways around that. What I what frustrates me around stuff like that, and and you certainly didn't do this, but I, I hear so many pastors say, "Oh my gosh, I, my video of my message only got 30 views. I'm being persecuted by big tech." No, you're not being persecuted. You just your content's not very good, or you're not leveraging the the platform to its unique full potential, right? Um, and so that's one of the things I love doing. Um, you know, as a social media pastor is helping, helping people like yourself, helping um, churches and ministries reach more people so they can change more lives. And, and doing that is just some of the tricks and the hacks and the, the little workarounds to, to, you know, the algorithm is always going to be an issue, but it should never be an excuse. And just because you're, if you're a pastor listening to this and you're, you feel like you're being persecuted because you've only got 30 views or you only got 12 likes on Instagram or you've got only a couple of hundred followers, you're not being persecuted. There are people literally around the world who are literally being persecuted for their faith. You're not. Just, you know, create content that people actually want to see and that actually adds value to people's lives. Start doing that and then it will, you'll, you'll see that things improve. <laughs> Make sure to put it into perspective. Like you don't have yeah. it right, compared to all the other people around the world that are facing the hardships yeah. for their faith. So you're blessed exactly. if you're in a first world country, to be honest with you, to be a person of faith and freedoms and liberties and all that sort of stuff. And I, I've noticed with my own social media, if I start doing videos or I do talks or if it's like me just speaking and giving advice yep. and stories and all that, I get more engagement than I do if I post about somebody else. It's a weird thing. Yeah. And I've always yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. Too often we, we think that the only stuff that gets, um, that, that gets traction on social media is really highly produced content. And that's because we've always been told when it comes to social media, content is king. Yep. I would argue that context is king. And what I mean by that is when you're speaking authentically, right? Uh, and you're, you're being genuine and you're speaking into your own context and that connects with somebody in their context, that's when your post will get engagement. That's when your video will get lots of views. That's when you're actually the most relevant, mm. right? In, in church world, we think relevance is, you know, smoke machines and fancy lights and, and, you know, people on stage who wear skinny jeans and really deep V-neck t-shirts and have the cool glasses, right? Um, but I think relevance is actually when, you know, if I'm stuck in the desert for two weeks and I'm stranded and Jay, you come along and you give me a, a, a bottle of water and some salada crackers, you are the most relevant person in the world to me because you met my need right when I had it the most. And I don't care whether or not you've got a smoke machine behind you or what you're wearing. It's what you're doing for me that makes you relevant in my life. That's real relevance. And I, I think we need to get back to a little bit more of that as well. Understanding that context is king. And if we're helping, if we're putting stuff out on social media, that's of value to people and answering questions that they're asking, that's when we're relevant because we're being contextual, we're contextualizing our content to whatever their situation is. That's brilliant. I've always been, I noticed like, I want to be mindful of your time as well. Um, Two final questions, if you don't mind, but I've always like looked at, uh, I guess you could say people's sharing habits and in my circles, at least I've noticed it's a certain specific thing all the time. It's usually dumb stuff most of the time. 
And yeah. I'm like, why is this getting shared? I'm not accusing anyone at all, but I've always noticed like the good context stuff, even if it's well produced, that for me at least doesn't get shared as much. Yeah. I've noticed when I'm actually authentically me and sharing stuff, that somehow yeah. gets shared more. So I wanted to yeah. wanted to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's good. Um, so this is my all-time favorite question I ask everyone at the end. So it's uh, it's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All yeah. your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Then ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I thought you were going to ask me who do I want to play me in that film. Like I, that, that's where I thought this was going. And you made it so much deeper than that. So I think Ooh. that speaks volumes of your character and not so much of mine. <laughs> um, what do I want that to say? Um, you know, I, I think it goes probably the first thing that pops into my head, Jay, is I wanted to go back to what I said earlier that I want it to, I want people to watch that and, and be able to say, you know what? Following Jesus made his life better and made him better at life. I'd like to think that it would say that I, you know, wasn't always perfect, but was always willing to learn. I think, and, and again, back to what we said previously, I would love for it to say uh, that I asked good questions throughout my whole life. That's what I wanted to say. Cause that, that idea of asking good questions means that I'm constantly open-handed about my opinions that I'm open to learning new things. You know, um, a friend of mine once said uh, that he doesn't trust anybody who's never changed their mind. And I think you change your mind by asking good questions. When my girls leave for school every morning, um, one of the things I say to them every morning when they walk out the door is I say, make sure you ask good questions today. And that's not necessarily just asking good questions of the teacher, but that's just asking good questions throughout the day. Because, you know, there's a saying that says um, a smart person gives smart answers, but a wise person asks smart questions. And so I just want to be somebody who will always ask smart questions. I think that's what I would want the film to say mostly. I love that. Uh, this is my final question. So have we been recording this whole time? We I thought been. we were just having a chat. This is awesome. How, how about that? You know, so <laughs> that's, that's the beauty of the story box. Sometimes like we go on a riff and then we, I just keep it going. I don't even bother. I love it. Again. Um, I love it. But my last question for you, Dave, is when in your life, when you least expected God to show up in a big way, that he has that it's challenged your perspective on your life and who God is. Do you ask everybody this question? No. <laughs> so when has God shown up in my life in a big way that challenged my perspective? Yes. On your life okay. and who God is. So I think um, the first thing that pops into my head, Jay is this, and I don't know if this is the right answer and I might change it as I talk, right. As I start, as words start coming out of my mouth, I might change it. But here's the first thing that popped in my head. I think the time that, uh, God, the, the, I experienced God in a, in a way that changed my perspective of everything was, uh, when I realized that what 
you know, man had meant for evil, God had meant for good. Now, what I mean by that for me, that's a Bible verse that comes out of the story of Joseph, which I'm sure whether your listeners are, uh, you know, church people or not church people, I'm sure they've heard the story of Joseph, Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. We've all heard that story. But as part of that story, Joseph gets to a point where after he's been sold into slavery by his brothers, dumped into a well, um, you know, uh, accused of a crime he didn't commit, spent years in jail, he gets to the point of saying, hey, you know, his faith lets him say what man meant for evil, all these bad things, God meant for good. And and that for me is a, a picture of re- repentance. But when I, when I think of that story, I think of my own childhood, quite honestly. Um, <clears throat> in my own childhood, you know, by, by the time I started primary school, uh, by the time I was six and started primary school, I was the sexual abuse from an uncle started in my life. And that went on for six years. By the time I started high school, that uh, what was happening at home had such an impact on me and my personality that by the time I started high school, I, I started getting really bullied because I was just the withdrawn, shy kid, right? Um, didn't want to stand out, just wanted to hide into a ball, no self-esteem, uh, no self-confidence, all of those things. Didn't know God at that point and, and I honestly don't know where I would be in my life. Um, but then in year 12, getting this first experience of God and experiencing it for the first time and, and understanding that he, this, my faith is going to make my life better and make me better at life. And then seeing a, a, a shift in my whole perspective towards myself, a shift in my whole perspective of my life, moving from be, believing that my life was just broken and could never be put back together to a point where going, no, what, you know what, God can actually turn this into something good and being able to share my story uh, of God turning that my life around 180, um, that's a huge thing for me that changed my perspective of not just God, but of everything. And, and I think growing up, I always questioned if there is a, if there is a God up there, then why is he allowing to happen to me? What's happening to me at home almost every night? Like, why is he allowing that if he really loves me? But as I grew older and and sort of grew into it, you know, I realized that what man meant for evil, God actually meant for good. And as I've shared my story, whether it's sharing it from, you know, stage at a church or a church event, if it's sharing it on a podcast, you know, I, I, I spent seven years as a TV sports reporter for channel 10 in Melbourne. And that gave me the ability, the opportunities to share my story in, in school camps and, and, you know, all sorts of things and seeing the number of people that, that my story of hope, my story of redemption has helped give other people hope. That's when I can get to that point of saying what man meant for evil, what my uncle meant for evil, God meant for good, and he's going to turn that into something good. So that was the thing that I think stepped into my, when, when I experienced God and, and realized that God had a different plan for that, that I could never have, have predicted, that it not only changed my perspective of God and how much God cares about me, but it also changed my perspective on everything in life. Um, it changed my perspective on my own sense of purpose, my own sense of hope, but gave me the ability to, to provide that to other people, hopefully provide that to other people as well. That is powerful, man. Mm. Wow. It's probably the best answer mm. I've had to that question. Oh, wow. Really? I, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like that was, that was unreal. Thank you for being open enough to share what actually happened to you 
as a yeah, kid, man. especially especially because yeah. you're young. I'm sorry that happened to you. You know, I I understand like experiencing what sexual abuse is like from a very young age. It's not mm. a good, it's traumatic. It it does more damage to you than yeah. God. But what I've realized as a 24 year old right now is that instead of asking God why why is this happening to me, we should be we should be asking Him instead what what are you trying hundred percent what is this for in what yeah. are you trying to show me in my life what is missing yeah. that i'm not seeing yeah. the moment yeah. we do that our perspective shifts our life changes and we start seeing god's yeah. hand in literally everything i couldn't agree more dude couldn't agree more i had the opportunity two years ago to go to Israel. Like I go to, I, I do a lot of work with some companies in Israel and I go to Israel on a re, on a regular basis, pre COVID I was going on a regular basis. Right. And I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to be in Israel recording a whole bunch of YouTube videos. And we spent a week in the Judean wilderness, like, and this place is like, like no life, you know, completely isolated. And for one of the videos, uh, one of the guys who was field producing, he said to me, hey, we need you to walk off into the desert as far as you can possibly go, probably a mile, a mile and a half, two miles. And so I walked and was, they wanted me to do that so they could get a drone shot, right? They, they had drones flying around me and all sorts of things. I'll, I'll give you a link to the video so you can see and maybe you can leave it in show notes or something. But anyway, as I remember walking out, and as I was walking out, literally in the desert and couldn't see anybody, like I'd gotten to the point where I couldn't see anybody. Um, I remember thinking, gosh, how many people feel like this in their life right now, that they're in the middle of a desert, this isolated place where life seems really hard, where life seems really barren, and you're not sure how you're going to get out of it. And you're not sure if you're even going to be able to take the next step forward. How often have I felt like that in my life, right? And what I realized in those moments as the sun was going down, like it was this amazing scene. I was like, I'm literally in the desert, but I've also figuratively been in the desert many times. And whenever I'm in that place, I always ask God, um, you know, when are you going to get me out of this desert? Mm -hmm. When is this going to end? And instead of saying, God, when am I going to get out of the desert? We should be saying, God, what am I going to get out of the desert? What lessons do you have for me that I can only learn in this place? So sometimes, you know, when we're in those situations, we say, when is this going to be over, God? When, when am I going to be out of this situation? When we should be asking, what am I going to get out of this situation? Mm -hmm. um, that shift in perspective can literally change a person's life. And that's not a faith thing. That's not a God thing. That's just a thing thing. Like, I think we all need to have that perspective when we're facing tough times because we're all going to go through them, whether you have faith or you don't, you're going to face hard times. And in those moments, are you asking, when am I going to get out of this? Or are you asking, what am I going to get out of this? That's the key, I think. I love that. I was speaking with Christine Kane recently and she said, God never promises to us that we won't go through deserts, but he always promises to be there walking with us while yeah. we're in the desert. It's That's our good. choice though to see him. And I always I talk about this in my first book, actually, which I've got to send to you. I think you might yeah. like it. Uh, yeah. it's let challenges serve you. The moment mm. we serve challenges, all we are doing is giving off our power and allowing the challenge to control our lives, our thoughts, yeah. our beliefs, everything, which just keeps us stuck, uh, deflated. We don't we don't see God in anything then, then we're, yeah. we're miserable. 
we're depressed. It can lead to all that. But when we say, hey, I'm going to embrace challenges into my life, I am going to not serve them, but let them serve me, Mm. reverse it, then you can start seeing the challenges are for your benefit. They make you stronger than for a person that doesn't go through challenges. I mean, what kind of a life would that be? It'd be very, very boring. Yeah, that's good. Challenges enable us to see things other people can never never, never see. Challenges show us really who God is, who we are as people. Yeah. We're we're finite human beings. Yeah. Fallible. And I believe God did that for a number of reasons. So we don't get too proud. He he wants to show us that humility is the way, not ego. Look what happened to Satan. Yeah. And he does it through challenges, through hard times, struggles, trauma, yeah. you name it. But once again, he gives us the choice. Yeah. And, and Jay, have you noticed that when you speak to a Christian, they say, well, if I become a Christian, is my life going to be perfect? Is everything going to be yes. lined up? Is, is the path that I walk, walk on going to be really like level and no rocks and it's going to be really comfortable? But we never get promised that in scripture, right? But yet still, when we face a mountain in our life, like there's a hill that we have to, we pray and say, God, take the mountain away, make it level, make it easy on me, right? But if you read scripture, it says, give me the feet of a deer that I may ascend to the high places. Like it literally says, don't take, don't pray that God will take the mountain away. Pray that God will give you what you need to get over the mountain, Because once you're on the top of that mountain, the view changes, your perspective changes, but it only comes by climbing up that mountain and going through the hard stuff to get there. That's that idea of what man meant for evil, God meant for good, because we're going to face mountains in life. And we, we get to choose the one, we don't get a choice in that, right? The one thing we do get to choose is our attitude to those hard times, our attitude to that desert, our attitude to that mountain. That's the one thing we have got a choice over. So I would be saying, (laughs) choose the right attitude. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) I I need to send you my book. I think you would do it. I think you'd really like it. Uh, I would love that. Do it. This has been such a good conversation, man. I could speak to you forever. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. I've really enjoyed it too. Uh, Man, got to have you back on later on. But thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast, round one. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thanks, man. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, 
Your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.